God bless you. Thanks for tuning in with Bible study tonight. We're super excited about this Bible study. We're continuing our series on the Beatitudes. And we got our special guest with us tonight, our youth director, Corey. And we also got Megan here, Sister Megan. And we're super looking forward to this Bible study. Got a lot uh, God's put in our hearts that we want to share tonight. But before we get started, we want to go before the Lord in prayer. Asking God's blessing to be upon us, that he would minister in us and minister through us. If you have a special prayer request, please send us those prayer requests to prayer at mastershouse.org. And we'll certainly lift up your needs before the Lord tonight. So before we get started, we're going to ask Megan, if she will, to take us before the Lord in prayer on behalf of our study tonight. Thank you, Lord, for letting us gather today remotely and or in person. Lord, I pray that you touch our speakers tonight and help us be a blessing to your people and that we learn and take in these things about Beatitudes in the morning. And we pray that you keep your hand upon the pastor and Sister Christy and all those listening in and all the prayer requests. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're going to be talking about those that mourn tonight. Uh, the scripture can be found in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse four. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So at first glance, when we look at the scripture, I mean, we could easily think that mourning is, you know, represents a person or somebody who's actually lost a loved one. And, you know, most certainly indeed, um, somebody who suffered the loss should uh, be comforted and, and will be comforted. But actually, in, in deeper examination of what the Scripture is actually talking about, uh, you have to kind of look in the context of the Scriptures before it and around it. And remember, the Scripture before it, the third verse, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And, you know, we had a, a study on that, which is basically the recognition that uh, I have no righteousness and that I really need to have God. And when we look at this scripture about mourning in the in the light of that we recognize that what's being mourned here is not the loss of somebody but it's actually uh the expression or the emotions of those uh who have actually committed sin and so we're going to get into that you know right now well, let's get into this uh brother cory yeah. what is jesus really saying here so it's interesting because when we first started doing this and, and you sent me notes and you were like, uh, hey, this isn't about, you know, someone who's lost someone. I, I was I was really super surprised. I didn't know that until we started looking into this. And so um, I did. I, I, I started doing some some research into it, trying to um, kind of like you had said, there's some context. But then also um, when we look at the uh, the word mourn uh, or remorse, it actually comes from the Greek word, meaning uh, it's it's pronounced, ready for this? Here we go, pentheho. Pentheho. Pentheho, um, meaning I mourn, I lament, or I feel guilt. So here is where we can actually start to see, oh, okay, this isn't just someone mourning a loss or, or you know, a death or something like that. It is, in fact, as Brother Thomas mentioned before, um, someone is remorseful. They are lamenting, and they are seeking to make right the guilt that they feel because of the sin or sin nature that they uh, ex have allowed to exist or are actively participating in. So now that we got that little knowledge bomb out of the way. Um, we uh, also know that with that sin, we see people that are typically, uh, they, are, they have an outward expression 
of this grief, of this, this lamenting because of this sin. So with that, Sister Megan, um, when you think of someone in mourning, specifically someone in the Bible, when you think about someone in mourning in the Bible, what kind of actions do they take? What do we see them do? I always think of like weeping, crying out, renting, tearing their clothes, mm-hmm. maybe sitting in ashes. Sure. Those are things that always come top of the mind when thinking about in the Bible. Yeah. Good morning. And the sitting in ashes, I find an interesting one because I was talking to Lena about this um, as we were getting these together. And she was like, but why would they do that? And I was like, like, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, you know, they'd like. Well, they always got sackcloth on. They always had sackcloth. Yeah. And like it's very itchy. itchy and uncomfortable. Yeah. And she was familiar with that because um, she's done a lot of art stuff and yeah. had utilized some of that. And so I explained to them, like, well, they put on this itchy clothes and they, they sit in, like, you know, the cold ashes of a fire. She's like, oh. They just sit there. I'm like, yeah, but why? And I was like, well, they're very sad. <laughs> like, that was really the best explanation I could get is that this was how they showed, like, this was an outward expression, right? We also see, you know, fasting. We see the sackcloth. We see disfigurement sometimes. You know, these were our ways in the Bible that people were expressing their, their sorrow, their sadness, their... I use the word lamenting because I like it because it's not just, oh, they're saying they're sad. No, they are crying out. They are distraught. They're, they're feeling it. A hundred percent. Yeah, they, they are in it. And some of the best examples I can think of are uh, inappropriate gangster movies wherein you see Italian wives losing their husbands and they just cry out. This this is the sort of, of, uh, of explosive and sort of intense... Um, acting out that we see due to this. So with all of that, we get to um, an example in the Bible, Jonah chapter three, verse five through nine. And so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe not from him and covered him with sackcloth. And sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands." Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? I really like this last verse that I just read because it it's, reminds me how lucky that I am that we have Matthew 5, 4. How lucky we are to know that those that mourn, that those that um, are, are, are seeking to, you know, are, are saddened by their guilt, their, their guilt and their sin, um, that they will be comforted because they didn't know. They just said, hey. Hopefully God will. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Here's hoping, fingers crossed. Yeah. Like, and, and to do it with the animals, right? Everything covered in a sackcloth. And we don't know if it's going to work or not. And so that, I feel so comforted by this, this verse that lets yeah. me know that I will receive comfort when I am in that state. And then sure enough, Jonah 3.10, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. I think, too, that the sitting in the ashes is, is a, our display of humility. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've taken off my worldly clothes, I put on the sackcloth, and I'm sitting in ashes like, you know, this 
I, this is where it's at. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm humbling myself. You know, I'm getting myself low. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's what, what, yeah, Yeah. is, is in the ashes. You know, the scripture says, you know, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. I'm, I am like, you know, Megan just said, I'm, I'm getting low. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing myself down. And, you know, when we were talking about this, I mean, you know, we don't think in terms necessarily of, you know, disfigurement or doing anything, but there, there is an example in the scriptures of somebody that literally it says, you know, they pulled out their hair. And uh, in, in Ezra, the ninth chapter, beginning with the third verse, and when I heard this thing, now this is Ezra speaking, I rent my clothes and my mantle, I, I plucked off the hair of my head, I think he's, you know, I keep saying head, but he says he plucked the hair off his beard and sat down just astonished, but astonished, right? And then were assembled unto me everyone that trembleth at the words of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrificed. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness, having rent my garment and my mantle, and I fell on my knees, and I spread out my hands unto the Lord my God, and said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities east over our head, and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. I mean, this is a huge expression of all this, you know, we talk about guilt and, and remorse or sin, and um, the thing that's so interesting about this example is this is something that Ezra didn't do. Ezra didn't commit the sin that's, that's being expressed here. We're not going to get into what that sin is tonight. Uh, but he was so moved that he was uh, embracing the guilt and embracing the remorse. And he was not, not disassociating himself from the corporate sin of those who, uh, who did it, but he was connecting with them, and so much so that he was pulling the the hair out of his beard. He was renting his clothes. He was uh, crying out uh, to God. And, 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 uh, and I love the, the words that he, he says there, which I think also expresses what we're talking about. I am ashamed. Mm-hmm. I, I'm blushing. Yeah. I'm embarrassed, you know. And uh, so I, I think that, you know, this is another example of that true expression. Now, I mean, and nowadays we may not be plucking our head, our hair out of our head and, and doing some of these things, but, you know, have experienced, you know, the conviction of God's Spirit and have experienced, you know, that shame and, and guilt, you know, certainly we connect with some of these things, even if, like Ezra here, who, who didn't, you know, actively participate. Absolutely. And it, Paul wrote in Romans that all have sinned and fallen yeah. short of the glory of God. Yeah. So, yeah, we... We have, we are all there. I can identify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, at the very least, exactly. Just because I am a human. Yeah. And then Paul also speaks about godly sorrow, and this is similar to that that shame, but it's it's different from a depression. And this is something that we've actually talked about in young adults, right? That godly sorrow is different from like a depression because it is built out of a conviction. It's built because you recognize 
where you are compared to where the Lord would have you to be, right. what you've become versus what he would have you to be. And so um, this then brings the believer into that godly sorrow uh, because they want to change, because they see that gulf and they want to close that. They want to become better. And um, it actually brings them to the point of seeking for that forgiveness and then seeking repentance. And so uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11, now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness is wrought in you? Yea, what clearing of yourselves? Yea, what indignation? Yea, what fear? Yea, what vehement desire? Yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this manner. So taking all of this, the, the examples that we've talked about, the um, all, everything now that we understand, to mourn means so much more than to be sorrowful over a loss. It is sorrow for the degradation of our relationship with the Lord via sin. And, and so that is what it means to mourn. So, um, and with that, uh, Sister Megan, I know that you've gathered some, some additional examples of mourning. So lay it on me. What you got? <laughs> <laughs> what I've got is another example, yes. Uh, but I would kind of classify this as one of the more famous examples. So when you think of somebody mourning and physically crying out, this is kind of the example you think of. But as Corey, men you mentioned earlier, you think of it's a loss, like somebody you were close to died, so you're mourning them. Um, that grief, sorrow, and misery, uh, the physical manifestations that we talked about, weeping, crying out. Um, I think another one I would also add is that just that feeling miserable. Mm. Like you're like, Ugh, like I just hate myself right now type, just that heavy miserable. Um, you're mourning because you feel miserable for the acts that you did and the sins that you've done against God. Like that's like that physical manifestation. It's weighing on you. That guilt is weighing on you. So the example that I want to kind of go into and get into is Psalm 51. Um, this psalm was written by David after the prophet Nathan came to him and was like, I know what you did. <laughs> you know, and David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Not going to dive into that sin, but this is the basis of where the psalm comes from. Um, and um, we've we've all sinned. You can't say you haven't sinned, but again, that's not what we're going to cover. But I kind of want to, when I go through this psalm, think about the gravity of David's sin, this adultery with Bathsheba, and then maybe a sin you've had. Is it the same weight? Is the gravity of your sin the same as the gravity of David's sin? Would we approach our mourning and what we're feeling the same way based on what we thought we did? Is there a difference in the way it kind of weighs on you? So kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this psalm and kind of break it down. Um, so the full passage that we'll go through is Psalm 51, 1 through 17. Um, but the first section I'll kind of pinpoint is verses 1 through 3. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So the psalm opens straight out, have mercy on me. And a mercy is a plea to one in power, God, to go lenient on, on the punishment. There's always a punishment. You, you can do something when you're little and get in trouble. There's going to be a punishment. You know, you do something wrong, there's going to be a punishment. Uh, and the Lord will pass judgment on you, but you're asking, please have mercy on me when you do, when you pass your judgment on me. David's already punishing himself enough because he's mourning what he's done. He's asking for this mercy, and he's asking to take out like a black sharpie and redact what he just did so we don't think about it anymore and blot it out. Um, cleanse me of it. And I know what I've done, and I, I, I always see it, and I always think about it, but just cleanse me and kind of get rid of me. Get rid of it. Um, the next section of verses 4 through 6, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So here he's saying, I've done this thing against you, and it was evil in your sight. I, I know that I did that. So God is justified when he speaks and judges because I've done this against him. And I've done this thing that he asked me not to do, but so he's well within his scope to judge that you know better, um, so you can do as you see fit. Um, and I, I had a hard time with verses five and six, understanding what it meant by conception and inward parts. And so I was looking at different um, translations of those scriptures. And so what I found was not only am I a sinner and I've sinned, but I've been, I've been a sinner since I was conceived. So even in the womb, I was a sinner all the way, you know, like you said, we're human. We're all sinners. That sin nature passed yeah. down through mm -hmm. Adam. Yeah. But at the same time, God meets with us. He meets us in the womb or in the inward parts is kind of how I was reading it. I always think the inward parts is your heart, you like your soul, your mind. And, but that other translation was say, describing it as the womb. So he's meeting with you all the way even then because he knows you're a sinner at conception to give you, you know, meet with you with the truth and the wisdom to, to not be a sinner to try to get you before you get it. <laughs> get it like, let's see what we can do here. A bit in the butt. <laughs> yes, there, thank you. Um, in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So hyssop, if you don't know, is a herb in the mint family, um, used for various medicinal purposes, but it's also an antiseptic. So when I read that, I kind of think of scientists that have to go into contamination tents to uh, scrub off all the exposed harmful materials that they have and they scrub with strong antiseptics you know they're scrubbing until you can't it's red you got to get all traces of the material off their person um, so that's what I envision when David's saying purge me with hyssop got to get it scrubbed head to toe get seven layers deep, scrub the sin out of me because I don't want to see it anymore. And just keep scrubbing until it's gone. You can scrub so much that you look under a microscope and there's not a speck there. So you're white as snow. It's all, all those blemishes are gone. 
um, in verses 8 through 12, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. So once I've been purged and I've scrubbed, there's nothing less, there's no more traces of sin, let me be joyful again. Let me move past it. Along with the sin, let the thought and reminder of it leave also, that I can be happy. I don't want to dwell on it and be sorrow and mourning all the time because I've done this thing. I want to be rejoicing and have a clean heart. Um, I think a lot of times our sins are forgiven. We've seen it time and time again, but we still dwell on it. <laughs> like, oh, you remember that one time you did that thing because, you know, you sinned. I mean, God got rid of it, but you still did it. <laughs> so you're like, why, why? Why would I keep thinking about it? Like, I want to be happy. I don't want to keep thinking about it. I want to, he, he's not thinking about it. Why should I think about it? So, um, but at the same time, he, he's making us clean. Don't leave me either. Don't let your spirit leave me. Um, I don't want you to take it away because I've done this thing that I know I'm not supposed to be doing. So forgive me, but restore my spirit with you and restore my joy in your salvation. I don't want to walk around like a sourpuss. <laughs> you know, poor me, I sinned, and I can't stop thinking about it, even though, yeah, God forgave me, woo! But I keep thinking about it. It just keeps bringing you down. So here in the last little bit of the sections, kind of shows you how not to be sour or mournful forever. So 13 through 17. Then will I teach transgressors thy, transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise me. Deliver me of these things, and I'll proclaim, proclaim your mercies and goodness. I'll teach and profess it to anybody that walks past me so that others know. I'll teach sinners there's goodness and mercy in God, that they can be delivered and be saved. I want to walk around going, thank you, Jesus. You know, <laughs> I'm forgiven, and you can be forgiven too. Why would I walk around being sorrowful? I'm happy. I, he he t comforted me. He came and got rid of my sin. Um, in, six, in verses 16 and 17, it says that he does not delight in burnt offerings or sacrifice. However, there is still a sacrifice, and that's within yourself. So earlier I said there's always a punishment for doing something wrong, and that is your punishment. Your broken spirit and contrite heart is the sacrifice for your sin. So getting yourself kind of down into the ashes, lowering yourself down, and contrite means a feeling of or expressing remorse, like you mentioned earlier, or penitence, sitting in the ashes, affected by your guilt. We're mournful of our sin that we've committed. We feel that physical weight, but that physical breaking down of us is what our sacrifice is for God and his mercy to cleanse us and make us whole and bring us back up to being joyful. Um, so at the beginning, I said David's sin versus your sin. 
which one's bigger, which one has more weight, which one should you be more mournful over, um, well, they're the same. Sin is sin, like you said earlier. Um, but God is merciful, and he forgives those things, big or small. Um, God provides us comfort to our mourning, but Brother Thomas, where else does uh, comfort, is it found for our mourning? Well, I think you make a, I think you make a great point there. I think we as humans classify sin mm -hmm. this is a bad sin and this is eh, you know it's <laughs> sin but you know it's a but baby sin. but all sin separates us from god mm -hmm. and you know that's where the loss is it's the loss of that relationship that we can can have with him and if we've already established that relationship the loss of relationships that we do have have with him but what's so great about psalm 51 that you brought out is this is actually like a verbal expression of all the physical things that we were mm -hmm. that we were talking about and where does that comfort come from well it comes from you know it says in first john uh, 1 and 9 that if i will confess my sins he is faithful he is just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Um, that's comforting. You know, knowing that God is faithful. I can count on that. That if I humble myself and ask him to forgive me of my sins, he's going to. It's not a matter of, of if or, or God's up there saying, well, mm, I'm busy. Let me think about it. Right? And I always like to add... A word to the scripture which you're not supposed to add you know add to or take away from but but i always think in terms of this scripture is that he's quick mm -hmm. you know jesus already paid the price and already made the sacrifice so he's quick like i like i just said he's not checking his watch and saying well i'll get to you in five minutes mm -hmm. he's already paid the price He's already he's already done what's necessary and that is part of that comfort it's it's that comfort in God's unfailing love and just in knowing that he forgives that we serve a God that forgives and there's comfort in knowing that and that he no longer holds us accountable for it mm -hmm. you know there, there's a scripture a passage of scripture that talks about and you know it's as far as the east is from the west However far, and I don't even think, if, if you really think about it, those two points never meet. Mm -hmm. It's, it's yep. a circle, right? If, you just, if I keep going east, somehow I'm going to end up west, right? Which means there's no termination to it, which means there's no ending point to it. It means it's just gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he doesn't remember it. It doesn't uh, hold me accountable for that. I mean... God sent his son to pay the price for our sins, took on that shame. What is that sacrifice? You have to mention the sacrifice. The sacrifice was his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We look to the cross. We want to know where the comfort comes? It comes, we look to the cross. Mm -hmm. And we look to where Jesus paid the price and died for each and every one of us and all of our sins. And that we're no longer accountable for it. He bore my sin. He bore my shame. 
That's why I mourn when I feel like I violated that my relationship with him and I feel bad, but then I'm comforted because he's no longer on the cross. He's no longer dead. He has ris- risen from the dead. He, he broke out of the, the grave. It couldn't hold him. He had the power to lay down his life, and he had the power to take it up again. And I have comfort in the power of the resurrection. That God can resurrect me from this lamenting, from this mourning, and give me that comfort and give me life, right? It's that forgiveness, knowing that when I ask for forgiveness, there's comfort in knowing that he forgives me. He rose again on the third day. And remember what he said uh, before he left. He said, uh, pray the Father send you a comforter, right? He was talking to his disciples at the last meal. Pray the Father will send you another comforter, is what he actually said. And then he said that, uh, that this comforter is going to come to you. And then he said, I will come to you. I'm the comforter. Mm-hmm. And he says, not only will I come to you, but then I will be in you. So where does that comfort come from? It comes from Jesus Christ inside of us, bringing us that uh, peace and joy. Like David said, Lord, create in me a new heart and a, and a right spirit. That right spirit is being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, being filled with God's spirit inside of us and letting his spirit inside of us bring us that comfort and joy and strength and encouragement. It comes from him. And, and I like the way, which, how you closed out your point there. The, the enemy wants to come in and say, but you're a dirty rat. You know, since you since you mentioned uh, mobsters, right? You dirty know, rat, right? right? You're a scoundrel. You you did this and you did that, and and you know, God doesn't forgive you, and just man tries to bring it back right up into your face, and you're like, wait a minute, Lord, I thought I was forgiven. I thought this was over. I thought we were we were good, and you know, another comfort is God's word. We can find comfort in God's word during these times because we can be encouraged by the very scripture that we're addressing tonight, right? Blessed, happy, uh, encouraged are those who uh, mourn for your shall receive comfort. This is a promise. You're going to get comfort. And that comfort is, as we've just mentioned, me. Mm-hmm. It's my spirit. It's my love. It's, it's my goodness. It's my mercy. It's all of these things. And... Knowing that, he also said, hey, uh, not only in, in Isaiah 43, he says, I, even I, will blot out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will remember your sins. I won't remember your sins anymore. Like, like you mentioned, I don't, I don't even remember. For his own sake, because he loves you. Weep. We put our sin on him. He took it upon himself so that we might be the righteousness in God so that when we stand at that judgment and looking for mercy, he doesn't see all of that sin and iniquity. He sees the blood of Jesus that I've been covered by the blood that Jesus paid, paid for me on the cross. And he did that not only just for me and you and you, but for everybody out there tonight. Jesus loves you so much. That godly sorrow, when we, when we see how great and wonderful God is, and it makes us recognize and we feel sorry as uh, the Ninevites, as David, as Ezra, as ourselves, and we begin to repent and humble ourselves, 
He forgives us of our sins. He paid the price for us, and he loves us. He's, he's not here to condemn us. He's, he actually says in his word, I actually came to save the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. And so tonight, if you're mourning over your sin, Jesus loves you. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Big sin, little sin, like we mentioned, it's all separating us from God's love. It's all separating us from that relationship. Receive his comfort when you ask for forgiveness. Receive his comfort when you're mourning in those things and knowing that Jesus loves you and that he wants to minister to you tonight. On behalf of our senior pastor, the Reverend Paul G. Kiggins, we thank you so much for tuning in with us. Send us your prayer request at, ma at prayer at mastershouse.org and we'll certainly lift up your needs before the Lord. We thank you again for tuning in. Uh, we're going to ask Corey, if he would, to take us before the Lord at this time and, and let's thank him for his spirit that convicts us, that chastens us, that causes us to mourn, and the love of, of a father that it's a peaceable fruit of righteousness that he gives us, which is comfort. So let's thank him for that too tonight, Corey. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Master, for this opportunity, Lord, that you provided, Lord, that we would we would come together this night, Lord, that we would Lord, that we would we would discuss, O oh Lord, your word, Lord, that we would discuss and that we would learn and that we would take to heart, O oh Lord, these things, dear Jesus. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would Lord, that you would continue to be with your people, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for that spirit, Lord, that you provided us, Lord, that comfort for the morning, Lord. But but Lord, we thank you, Lord, as Brother Thomas has said, O oh Lord, for for your spirit that, that brings to us recognition, O oh Lord, the loss, Lord, and that, that brings us to this, this mourning, Lord, this, this godly sorrow, O oh Lord, that we would seek your face, Lord, that we would seek your, your, your forgiveness, Lord, that we would fall before you and that we would find that comfort, Lord, find that forgiveness and find that restoration, Lord, in our hearts and our minds, Lord, in our walk with you, dear Jesus. And we just thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for all of us, Lord. And we, we thank you, Lord, for this these great words that have gone forth this night, Lord, your words that have gone forth this night, O Lord. We pray, O Lord, that your spirit would, would rest upon all those that hear these words this night, O Lord, and that you would be with Lord, our shepherd and his family, Lord, that you would lift them up, Lord, and that you would touch and bless and move in the lives of all those that have heard these words this night. We pray, O oh Lord, your most perfect will in your most precious and holy name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you and good night. <laughs>